Welcome to the SEM Says Podcast, the podcast where seminarians say what's said at the SEM. I'm your host, Nikolai Berlinski, and today I'm joined by Andrew Pinto, who's in first pre-theology for the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great. I guess we planned to do this a little bit ago, but we're just getting to it now. So. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about yourself and the listeners about yourself. You're in your second year of seminary. Uh, how's that going? So it's been good. I have a kind of long vocation story, but I won't get into that. It's not as cool as Damien O'Malachi's. Well, okay. his story in general, but just a little bit about myself. Grew up in Westchester, and I went to Archmere Academy in Delaware, good high school. And then I went to Ave Murray University, and that's kind of really what kind of changed my life. Um, I, mm. I knew that the Lord drew me there and just had an incredible experience actually started reading and studying for the first time in my life, which most guys kind of skip out on in high school. Well, not the smart ones. The smart ones actually sure. know what to do in high school. I just got really into the great books. I did humanities, studied the great books there. Mm-hmm. Had an incredible professor who took us a book a, through a book a week for two years, and I was pretty much open up to the world of ideas, just reading in general, and that on top of incredible faith formation that I had at Ave Maria, which I desperately needed at the time. My yeah. faith was always there early in my life, but it was there where it was really formed, and I understood, and I started to peer, th- peer the depths of the faith by myself and kind of, you know, go to holy hours and things like that. Um, yeah. And I just had incredible opportunities while I was there. Uh, while I was at Ave, going into my junior year, every year I would say um, like a 54-day novena of what I should do in the summer. Hmm. And it always, the Lord always provided. Um, and one summer, I think this kind of sparked my my desire for adventure, which is why I love this book so much. Um, mm-hmm. But I ended up living in Spain for a summer with this religious order. And the Lord kind of drew me there. When I was meeting with uh, my professor at Ave, I said, I don't know what I want to do in the summer. It was kind of towards the end of my novena. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, you know, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know. I teach. I study politics. Uh, I'm not fully sure. I like Spanish. Maybe I could do something with Spanish. And uh, he said, actually, I have a priest, uh, somebody's a priest in Spain. You could live with them for free in the summer and hmm. do that. And so it was sort of at the end of my novena, I was praying with it, and it all just came together. I, at first, I studied Spanish in a, at a university there, University of Navarre, which was founded by Jose Maria Escriva. Jose Maria Escriva, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, so the first month, I was enjoying it, learning Spanish. They're still kind of doing normal things. And then once I went to live with those priests, and I saw young men, young priests on fire with the faith, sort of like I saw in Damien, this like fire to just do so much for the Lord it just I just saw something I never saw before and I came back yeah. that summer and whole long process of uh, that was my junior year my, my senior year I really started to discern mm-hmm. um, think about think about the priesthood started asking talking to seminarians and priests and the Lord sort of just slowly led me there through many yeah. many cool experiences that I won't get into uh, but yeah that's from here it's been an incredible experience first two years in seminary spiritual years unbelievable Philadelphia does a great job for that mm-hmm. And uh, Father Dufresne is unbelievable, just leading us in the spiritual year, growing in faith, and then just been loving academics so far. First year of pre-theology, actually, in studies, being removed for a year was nice, yeah. but getting back to it now is great. And it's nice to have some time on the side to to read good things like Damien yeah. the Leper. So yeah, that was the book that I, one book that I was able to finish this year besides school reading. Awesome. Yeah. yeah so to, to get into that, that's kind of what we wanted to talk about today is this book, Damien the Leper by John Farrow. So this book was published in 1937, so it's a little bit old, but, but like reading it today, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah. Like it could have been written last week and uh, it's still just the same awesome stuff. But I think he was a filmmaker. And it shows through oh. his storytelling is unbelievable. Yeah. It shows through that, the, yeah. the connection there. 
So at the time when he is writing about now Saint Damien of Molokai, he wasn't even declared blessed. So he was just like the this holy man who became famous for his works. And so he went and wrote this biography, which I think probably helped in the cause for his canonization, I'd, I'd guess. Wow. So, like, let's get into that. Yeah. So, like, Everything read... piled together, too, because yeah. like, imagine all these stories were out there somewhere, but this guy just did a good job of putting it all together in one, you know, book. And yeah. people were like, whoa, this man is saintly. Like, right. look at all this he did. He compiled it, essentially. So, yeah, I definitely imagine that contributed to it. Right. So, so like, get into that. I, I, I read this book a couple months ago, and then I think you just finished reading it, Andrew? Mm-hmm. I guess just start, like, give, give me the background of Damien sure. as much as you're able to. Sure. Yeah. I'll give you a background to how I even read this, and I'm curious okay, how sure. you got yeah, into please. it, too. But So my buddies and I, Mickey and John, are also at the seminary. They're in the college side. We did a pilgrimage to uh, Lourdes, Fatima, Spain mm-hmm. this summer. And I was praying. I said, I'm going to bring one book. I'm going to bring one book on the trip. And I was praying, Lord, what do you want me to bring? And I'm literally about to br- uh, leave. I have the Gospel of Life by John Paul II. I just wanted to read his encyclicals. And I hear a knock on the door, Amazon delivery, Damien Amalekai comes in right as I'm about to leave to go to Mickey's house to fly out. Hmm. So before that, I heard about it. I was in the Bronx this summer. I, a guy was reading Damien the Leper. I was, it looked really cool. He kept talking about it. Hmm. And his personality fit Damien so well. He's a simple, quiet man who did his work, did his prayer, and served the Lord. Hmm. And we were in the homeless shelter, and he presented it to the, the homeless guys there. And I was like, this is incredible. i got to read this. So hmm. went back, or, uh, ordered it, hoping it would come in before and it came in right at the time of, of the That's trip. Awesome. So yeah. this is the book that I took on the trip with me. But, I mean, there's so many things in this. But one thing I loved right from the start that this book grasped my attention was the opening scene was unbelievable. Mm. So, like we said, he's an incredible storyteller, John Farrow. Right. But he paints the scene of a superior general in his room, busy down with work, rainy, stormy night, empty room, no furniture, kind of just sim- simple living. And the only thing on his desk was a globe. Mm. There's a fire crickling in the background. That was the only noise. The rain was pr- providing noise for him. Mm. And he's he's looking at the globe. He's got a pile of papers on his desk. He's happy that his new order is kind of uh, springing up. You know, he has right. petitions for, to, to send people. And he's looking at his globe, seeing where he should send his, his seminarians, his, his brothers in the order. And a priest knocks on the door, a fellow priest who is his seminarian, the superior general's, uh, his name is Father Pierre, knocks on the door. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of going over the business of the order. And Father Pierre, catching hold of a paper on his desk, is reminded of an incident of one of his novices right. who had disobeyed orders and wrote directly to the superior general asking if he, if he could go on a mission. Right. And the superior general essentially says, pondering over it, whether this is the right thing or not, and Father Pierre says he should be punished. Uh, this is no way for a novice to act, to write directly to the superior general. And he says, Father Pierre says all of that, and, and the Superior General in his wise manner, I was just picturing this, he says, Surely such a wish to serve could be no great crime. And then Father Pierre said, Hurry is a failing of fools. And then Father, uh, the Superior General says, On the other hand, uh, wise men often fail from procrastination. Celerity is the mother of good fortune. He has done much who leaves nothing over till tomorrow. Festina Lente is a royal model, as our young friend has probably heard. And mm-hmm. then so he proceeds to say, yeah, okay, he disobeyed orders, but also he has this desire in him that you right. see played throughout the whole book of right. doing more because he believes he has a mission. And so it's brilliant. Right. The superior general of this order of this perfect balance of law and mercy says, you know what, I will punish him, 
I'll send him banishment to the Hawaiian <laughs> Islands to serve in place of his brother on the you know the island of right. lepers. And it was so cool. The start of that book, it's like yeah. this superior general sees something in Damien and his right. desire to serve. Yeah, no, it's awesome, and that's it, it's it's a funny way. Like looking back at it, we're like, oh wow, that's cool. Like that's a great saint story. I can imagine like in the moment it really being like really hard too to accept. Like okay, what are we going to do about this this guy? Mm-hmm. And the superior has to have that wisdom and, and insight, and you know the Holy Spirit has to guide him of what to do. But Damien as well, of course, like he had to to make that request to begin with, and. You know, he had to be willing to to go to the ends of the earth mm-hmm. um, to to serve God's people in this poor place. So it's, s- it's just an amazing coincidence, almost, that we can look back and see, wow, I see how God worked through that. Yeah. But like almost at the time. You know, well, they 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 play yeah. that out later in the book when Damien tells the story from his side of him writing right. the letter to the Superior General, and in it he said he's thinking rightly so. Did I mess up in doing this? Was I right. rash? Did I was I disobedient? Because ultimately, we need to be obedient. It's one of right. the vows we take, and so mm-hmm. he's like, "Was I disobedient?" And you could see it it play and sting his conscience. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, there must have been something there in his you know his his judgment or his forthrightness to ask his brave right. braveness to ask. And often, fortune favors the bold. You don't want to be so you know pushing your way because that could be disobedient. Yeah, you see it played out in his own conscience and ultimately ends up working out for him and for the world. <laughs> yeah. He sends him and and you see that through Damien's that was one incredible theme throughout the whole book is Damien's pushing this. Like he he, mm. he wanted to get stuff done. He was constantly uh, fighting with the Hawaiian public services and health services on the yeah, island. Yeah. But he knew he knew when to tame it back when he had to, when he shouldn't yeah. be obedient. But his his headstrongness served him well oftentimes. But it's how do we find this balance? Yeah. Well, let's take it a step back. So kind of the background is Damien was originally named Joseph de, de Wooster, Danish, if I remember right. from Belgium. Belgium, that's Belgium, what it is. Yeah. Okay. So he's born in Belgium mm-hmm. and enters religious life. His older brother was ordained a priest in this religious order before he was, so he kind of followed after his brother's footsteps. And he always had that big drive of wanting to serve. So the call went out from Hawaii. This was uh, in the 1800s, so before Hawaii was one of the United States, for the need for for priests, basically. And so he answered that call, and he went there. And he didn't go directly to to Molokai, which is where they isolated the lepers, but he he went to serve in the wider Hawaii area first, and then then to Molokai itself. So basically, the the way that that was broken down, my understanding is, uh, leprosy became a big problem in Hawaii, and so the Hawaiian Board of Health decided to to segregate, uh, isolate all of the people with leprosy to this one small island of Molokai. And it was very harsh. There wasn't a lot of structure to the to the society there. The villages weren't like well built up like they might have been on the the bigger islands. But the people there, as as human beings, they needed care. They needed somebody to care for them. And uh, many of them were Christian uh, and Catholic, so they needed a priest for them too. Mm. So that's kind of how, just to basically set the the details of the scene. That's how Damien went there was he volunteered and said I'm willing to do this he was allowed by a superior general to, to go to Hawaii in the first place and then by the bishop of that area to the parishes of Molokai that 
the island itself. Yeah. Right. And there was, and not to jump too far ahead, I'm sure yeah. we could come back to different points, but exactly when he transitions to Malachi, he, he served most of it, a lot of the book in the beginning covered his time before him being a leper on the oh, island yeah. to lepers. Oh, yeah. And that was, inc- his, the work he did in, there was incredible. But when, one thing that, that hit me so hard during in the book is when he actually transitioned to the island of Malachi and the bishop had come and he says, look, they need help there. The bishop essentially says, this quote from the book, he says, in the future, any man that went to Malachi would have to remain there for the rest of his life. This is the author saying this. Mm-hmm. As the bishop said this, his voice faltered. Even he could not command such a sacrifice of anybody. And as soon as the bishop asked, the moment he asked, uh, it says, no sooner were his words ended than four priests, one of whom was Damien, sprang to their feet and pleaded to be allowed to live and work among the lepers. Yeah. So without any hesitation, and this is something that uh, there's just a theme in general from Thomas More. I had a great class on Thomas More in, in college mm. that you have to ask yourself, am I willing to die for the faith now, early in life, so that when the moment comes, you, you act without hesitation, that you're willing to step up. And you see Damien throughout his whole time on the island, he's acting and constantly saying yes to the Lord so that when the time came, when the bishop asked, Does anyone, right. can anyone serve as, as a priest of my priest to go to this island of lepers? Instantly, he st- st- stood up and said, I will go. And within right. the hour, they said he was on the boat. And even with, within the hour, didn't have time to pack his clothes. He was worried that they wouldn't let him go over. He was on the island. And as soon as he even got on the island, m- probably what I, maybe you would do is unpack your stuff, get settled, yeah. put your clothes away, organize your books, get you know get some food here. Right away as he got to the island, he started doing baptisms, yeah. putting bandages on people. So just unbelievable stuff but there's so much before that we could talk about yeah. before he even gets to the island yeah that's true yeah and but. even in his early life too there was one thing that was cool he, he talked about how when he was born he came out his fist clenched and she saw him like saw him make the sign of the cross as <laughs> if it was a prophecy of uh, hmm. him becoming a priest and then also I think when he was young he worked with he was working with his uncle or something or he's assisting digging graves as a, as a blacksmith right. And right. little did he know that that was going to be a prophecy of his future of right. digging the graves of like these part, these yeah. abandoned, rejected lepers. Only so many graves, even of itself, yeah. that's a, that's enough work for one man. Yeah, the amount of graves that he dug. No, it's it's awesome. So, kind of just to give a, a little bit of a brief overview, and then let's talk about some details. So, once he started ministry on the island, he had to build a lot of the the structure for them. Not just like like physical structures of buildings, because their their buildings were really like shanty, shambles. And I don't think he had a he didn't even have a place to stay when he got there. He slept under a tree slept for a tree. for weeks, which, like that sounds awesome. Like oh, I sleep under a tree in Hawaii. Like sounds that's so like, romantic. Yeah. yeah, like that sounds like vacation. But you think <laughs> like the bugs and you're sleeping on the hard ground and roots and maybe nice for like a day or two, but. I, I feel like <laughs> that was an eerie scene in and of itself. Yeah. As he was describing the book, he says he's laying under the canopy tree, and that's where he ended up dying. I think. Oh yeah, dying mm-hmm. under the canopy tree or buried. Yeah, yeah buried. Yeah. yeah, he he described his first night. He had he had helped a bunch of people that day as soon as he got to the island right away, and then he slept under the canopy tree, and he was sleeping, and he hears some something crawling up to him, mm. and he looks over. And it's the face of another leper. And the leper mm. was pretty much like just observing, like, who is this man that's mm. come to help us out? Yeah. And it kind of showed, I think it showed that he's willing to live among the people right yeah. from the start. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of an eerie scene, though. Imagine just someone crawling up to you, sleeping on a tree, you know, getting bit by mosquitoes and all that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wild. And from the testimonies within this book, but it seems like from 
from all the sources he takes from is he really went into it with just such a spirit of humility and, and he didn't complain. Like, he didn't go, oh, wait, where's my room? Where's my bed? Like, what, you guys didn't prepare something for me? Like, he really entirely gave himself to service for, for what he was doing. And so, you know, was able to build a rectory for himself to live in, but only after serving the people first and, and helping to build up their town and getting them clean water and things like that, too. So it wasn't just, okay, sir, I'm, I got to make sure I'm serviced first and then, then mm-hmm. you, but completely the opposite. Really that, awesome. That's one thing witness. that hit me so personally on on this pilgrimage, but just in general is like, what do I do? Like when I when I come to a new place, or when I am I willing to just focus on the others first and then myself, or as soon as I get somewhere, I have to get settled, get unpacked, get ready. Or even on right. the pilgrimage, we were changing constant locations, right. and I had to make sure everything was set before you know I could converse with the people we were staying with it. And just reading Damien and Malachi, like, no, just serve the people first and then take care of yourself. And that, yeah. ultimately, that's a life of priests. That's a life we're trying to build up to. So we're not going to come into the seminary and start right at you know, right. Damien and Malachi's level. And neither, of course. neither did he. Of course. But yeah. that's that's the goal. I mean, and that's the ideal to shoot for. And that's why reading the lives of these saints like that, refreshing yourself with their stories is so fruitful and vital. Yeah. Um, there was one line in the beginning of the book, start kind of the, in the introduction, when he speaks of the man who constantly finds things to complain about versus the man who just accepts life as it is and sees the beauty in the little things. There's a line. Uh, he's talking about sort of these differences of people, and he says, they lead a sad life, nourishing themselves on bitters and garbages. They who have the luckier taste, who amongst a thousand defects, seize upon a single beauty that they may have hit upon by chance. It's like Damien had so many hmm. negative things, right. but his he just saw like the good and everything even amidst yeah. the graves he would walk around the grave at night praying the rosary thinking of how fortunate they were to be in heaven and how he's going to be there one day or even right. his his one solace in the pipe mm. in his pipe that he would he would allow himself to smoke at night at the end of a long a long day and not even he would give away his one possession of his pipe he would let the lepers smoke out of his pipe i, right. I don't let you know some people drink out of my water bottle. <laughs> he's letting right. the lepers smoke out of his pipe sleep yeah. in his bed you know when he's not there it's unbelievable selflessness and yeah Yep. love of the human person so uh, obviously you know spoiler alert for anybody who's not aware but but Damien himself develops leprosy after years of years of service and so he, he's found I forget what the number is but he founded like five parishes or so on the island like building different churches to, to offer mass and worship at different points mm-hmm. it might, maybe it's not as many as five but it's it's at least a few and those stories um, are crazy in themselves. Yeah, yeah. But so he spent all this time, he's kind of brought in um, like a basic hospital system, a religious order of sisters come in to minister. And so he's really been able to extend the mission uh, that he has uh, by bringing in other people. As you mentioned, like arguing with the, the Board of Health, uh, the government, to get resources for the people as well. So that's a big part of his mission. But after all these years he's rewarded by getting leprosy himself, right? And so his last few years are suffering with that terrible disease. Kind of your your body starts to decay and fall apart and you lose control. But it's really interesting. What I found in the book was John Farrell relates that after he got leprosy, his temperament kind of changed to get even more peaceful. That's right. Where he he was so driven that he would get very frustrated by by things being slow or things not working how he wanted them to. He's like, I'm trying to do things for these people, 
But once he developed leprosy, he was able to just be at peace and just to serve. I forget if it was John Farrell or Robert Louis Stevenson, but related that his temperament changed so much so that like he stopped yelling at and being frustrated by the board of health people who, you know, generally put up uh, barriers rather than, than offered help generously. But I just thought like, that's such an awesome witness to be like, when I suffer more, Am I more at peace or less? Because like usually it's less. The be, the, you know the best line with that. It almost brought me to tears as as other lines mm-hmm. did. But he he was so like you're saying work driven the entire time while he's there every yeah. single day. Devil is the idol's workshop. He crushed that with focus right. on the Lord and prayer, but work. He put himself yeah. to work. But as soon as he contracted leprosy, mm-hmm. he said instead of giving the kids tools to help build, he gave them toys to mm. play with because mm. he just wanted to enjoy the, the final years that he had yeah. in life, the final moments of playing with the kids and, instead of doing yeah. work. And he was able to just appreciate life and enjoy life versus you know, this mentality that he needed to do. He needed to serve, yeah. he needed to work. And one other line that was so, so, so powerful when they described the transition from him doing all the work with the lepers and, and for some reason, miraculous reason, he didn't contract leprosy early mm. on and neither did the sisters. Remember the sisters right. prayed. They didn't contract leprosy. They still didn't when they right. were on the island. But Damien gets up to mass. Instead of opening the mass with my brethren, you know, mm-hmm. addressing his brethren, he says, we lepers. Right. And that's, he steps up to mass and instead of some, my brethren, we lepers. And he addresses himself as one of them and everyone knew what he meant when he was saying we lepers and right. everyone just changed. And it was almost like they saw him, you know, differently or really saw the, the loving character that he was. Like, he has mm. become one of us through his yeah. own choice, which yeah. is sacrificial and beautiful. Right, absolutely. Just everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, we could really see Christ in that, obviously. We've got sinful man here on earth who's, who's hopeless by himself. And Christ not only, like, comes to be our Savior, but he becomes one of us. And then he suffers with us. I mean, he suffers even more than we do through his passion in the cross. So I, you can see that very clearly in Damien, is that he, he enters into their suffering. And not even just, like, marginal way, like, okay, I'm going to, like, minister to you suffering people, but I'm going to suffer with you. Mm-hmm. And and through that, the people saw that, and that enlivened their faith, like, more than anything, I think. Mm-hmm. And there was another part to that, too, kind of just connecting with the people so much on the island, but... Maybe you can give a background to Lily Lukiat Lani after this. I don't know if you know much about her, but she was the queen of Hawaii. Oh, sure. At one point, essentially, she comes to visit, and she's right. just in tears with, like, who is this man that came to my people to yeah. help them out from Belgium? She says, these are my people. And then he essentially says, um, but they're my parishioners. Mm. And so it's like, these are our people. Yeah. And he's really just become one of them, you yeah. know, which is unbelievable. Yeah. But she yeah she was the queen of you know you know visited and right. heard about his story as many as the whole world heard about his story he had no idea yeah and he's like stop stop sending me his family he would write letters throughout the whole book to his family and getting updates and as as people started to know about damien he the right. whole world started to recognize him and he told his brother like stop writing about me stop giving my <laughs> letters out to the world i don't want to be seen i don't want to be known yeah, yeah. whereas i would be like yeah, yeah, I'm doing a great job. Like, look, <laughs> look at me. <laughs> yeah, nah. no, it's true. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny too. I think it was the associated with the part with the queen, or maybe he, he got some award. Somebody gave him an award, and his bishop was there with him to receive the reward. And they pinned the medal on his chest or whatever it is. 
and he was so embarrassed that he wanted to take it off. And his bishop said, "Don't you dare!" Yeah, don't keep this. <laughs> Basically, it's like you know, this is this is something of honor, and you deserve this. But even more so, like this is this is what people are giving to you. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about aggrandizing yourself. It's not prideful. Like it is, it's humility to to accept the reward. Yeah. So I think that that's something too that it's really awesome to see that people recognize something great in him and are willing to to honor that. I'm not an expert on the, on the, the Queen of Hawaii, okay, but, yeah. but that section, I mean, it was really awesome to read about. I, I looked up her on Wikipedia, mm-hmm. and it, it was really neat because she wasn't Catholic. I think she was Episcopalian or, or a different kind of Protestant denomination. But for her to, to give such honor to the Catholic priest mm-hmm. instead of being like, oh, we don't like the Catholics or something yeah. like that, that's a really awesome thing. Too. And that's an undertone throughout the whole book is his work with the Protestants that... He, he saw them as completely, completely human, too, and, and doing Christ's work, yeah. although theological, obvious theological differences. Like, there was a story when there was, like, seven Dutchmen drowning in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the sea, and he's just on one of his walks before he's on the leper island, mm-hmm. and he runs in, knowing it's shark-infested water, waters, mm-hmm. and saves all of these men who are, like, pretty much half unco- unconscious in the water and right. drags them all out, and they're like, oh, we didn't know Catholics were good, or, <laughs> oh, we didn't right. know we could help each other, you know? Right. Yeah. And there was one other one other point with the the metal which was funny too. And I like it's such a good insight and this could be its own topic separate from the book of learning how to receive. Like humility yeah, yeah. is just hey, hey neglect, great game. Thank you. That's the response versus oh yeah. no, it was all God or as Father Carbonaro says, hey, it wasn't that good. Oh, it was all God, oh it wasn't that good. But just learning how to accept you know, recognition, yeah. recognition, because it's honest. Yeah. Honesty yeah. is humility is honesty. It's the truth. Yeah. And so, yeah, okay, I did this work. I'll wear it. And he, of course, he didn't want to wear the medal. He understood it properly. He wore the medal, but then later in the book, they describe how that medal collected dust in his, you know, his yeah. room for the rest of his life. Right. Because he obviously wasn't wearing it out, as right. if he came to the leper island to to win some type of medal you right. know, from the right. people. But it was it, that was a great balance of okay, I will wear this. I'll be obedient to my bishop, much like mm-hmm. Thomas wore. Thomas More wore the the big medal around his neck, mm-hmm. the, the right. chancellor, yeah. right? Because he knew that was his office, and he knew it was fitting. He knew it was proper. Damien wore it, and then put it away. Didn't show it off later. Yeah. Collected dust until until his death, essentially. Right. Which is a great balance. Again, he's a ba- yeah. such a balanced man. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, something that, like, in seminary, I think we, we tend to learn a lot of one-sided lessons of humility. And as you mentioned with Father Carbonero, mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, be, okay, be humble, be humble, be humble. And sometimes it is good to, yeah, to learn to, how do I accept recognition in a humble way? And, and not to say that that's, like, a, a flaw of the seminary, but, but that's something that we don't learn very much. Um, and so it is awesome to see, like, well... Here's an example of that, like, played out, and okay, that's really awesome to see. Like, okay, you can accept something with such great humility, and and that's what I want to. Yeah, because there's such thing as false humility as well. Yeah, oh and, right, and that could be just as dangerous. One example I always come to is it's Aristotle sees the virtue of magnanimity not in the Christian uh-huh. light. Magnanimity is greatness of heart in the Christian right. aspect, but to Aristotle, it was a fittingness, a properness, like. Mm. You are the man for the job. Step up and do it. It's not cocky. I relate this to sports because yeah. I'm very. I love basketball. So yeah. Kobe Bryant, give me the ball. I'm gonna win the game. This is not cocky. Yeah. I'm the fitting man for it. Winston Churchill, being the prime minister, knowing yeah. he has the abilities to step up 
you right. know, or stop you know the Nazis invasion right. because I'm the fitting man for this and I think that mm. that's hit me huge Aristotle's understanding of magnet I mean a huge mm. way of okay if you have certain gifts skills talents use them yeah. God gave them to you it's fitting yeah it's false humility to reject your talents yeah and and humility again is is the truth the glory of God man fully alive yeah. as Father Sperger the great Father Sperger tells me <laughs> uh, and so yeah, we need to kind of like recognize our gifts and that'll play out in parishes as well yeah. too. Like, all right, you're better at, you know, uh, running these certain events than I am or this youth group. Get, yeah. Like recognize your gifts. It's not bragging. You're just good at that. God yeah. gave you that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, you have to make a, a homily, but that, the parable of the talents, right? Jesus uh, gives the parable. The master gives, you know, you get five talents, you know, money. You get five, you get three, you get one. Okay. You're supposed to use the talents. You're mm-hmm. supposed to use them and and give that back to the master and and the man who's you know as you said he's falsely humble he's like oh well, i knew that you were demanding so i hid it hid it away well he's the wicked servant because mm-hmm. he wasted the talent that he was given mm-hmm. it, it's not sinful pride to to use the talents that the lord has given us and and return glory to him mm-hmm. by those yeah there's there's two points um kind of jumping back to the story there's just yeah. the idea of courage yeah. So that was a consistent theme as well. But something that really struck me is like, actually, I just had read, I don't know if you've ever read Solzhenitsyn's Harvard Address, and one of the mm. outlining points, he pretty much a critique of America in, in a good way, not a cynical way, but he says a lack of the decline of courage is at the uh, source of a lot of downfall and mm. kind of evil and things like that. And the courage that I saw in Damien was so inspiring, yeah. so cool, because... I think as men, we desire that. And courage yeah. is just being the strongest, baddest dude. It's like yeah. in little ways too. But he was so courageous. And we can all choose to do this. Um, yeah. It's hard, but we can choose to do it. But there's two stories in particular. One's probably my favorite. I'll, I'll share this. So I don't know if you remember. There was one night Damien's up and he hears like some type of noise in the woods. He hears a scream. Oh, yeah. and it's like an incantation. He kind of knows that it's something you know, pagan sketchies going on. Right. And so that the day kind of goes by, he, he sees on his door, like an abracadabra. It's like a kind of voodoo type sure, thing. Sure, sure. And he knows exactly what it was. And essentially he sends it on a pig to kind of this village and sends it around um, to, so that the people would see like, look, I got mm. your abracadabra. Stop trying to scare me. Like, uh, you yeah. know, I know my principles. I know my morals. I know the faith. And they send the pig back to him, dead, slit throat, you know, mm. as if some crazy stuff was going to happen. And jokingly, he says, oh, thanks for the thanks for the pork. And, mm. he, and he eats the pork. But later at night, they, they, they were kind of annoyed by that. And he's mm. sleeping, and he hears some scratching on his window. And uh, it's a woman. Mm. She kind of alerts him, like, something's going on. And he mm. steps outside, and he sees a distant flame in the background of the woods. And immediately he's he's ticked off. He's pissed. When a man's pissed, like William Wiles in Braveheart, he has a mission. He's going to act cur- yep. courageous, and he's going to. St- so he gets out of his room, starts walking with his stick by himself, an hour long trek into the woods, and he he happens upon the cave where there's some type of ritual sacrifice going on. Yeah. yeah. And he sees them all dancing and thirty men doing kind of crazy things, and they you know, slit a dog's throat. Not to be so explicit here, right, this is right, what right. happened. Yeah. And he slits a dog's throat, you know, pouring the blood into the very very evil type stuff and Damien's just watching watching waiting for his moment to kind of see what he can do mm. and as soon after that I think it was the Maui the leader the, the evil mm-hmm. cult leader brings out a doll 
and he mm. knows it's Damien. He's dressed in a cassock, and he sees his ro- old rosary beads, and mm. he puts it around the, the doll, the, the Maui does. And as soon as Damien saw that, he, he was angry. He was pissed like a father protecting his, his yeah. children or something yeah. from an invader. And he storms into the cave by himself amidst 30 kind of men with evil stuff going on, yeah. rips the doll apart, stomps on it, throw, kind of squishes it in the ground, and the people, the people right away were going to attack him, but they realized, like, this man just ripped apart our voodoo doll. This Something big was supposed to happen. And yeah. as soon as he did that, they all kind of scurried away because they, they were fearful yeah. of him that he just took down our, you know, right. idol. And then the next day, he's looking at the faces in the crowd. He sees that some of his parishioners, mm. you know, that he had before. And the next day, he comes in, and, and then if there's a week go by, he, uh, he sees the guys who were in this voodoo evil cave mm. coming to back to Mass. And it's like... Right that's what courage does yeah and the and the yeah. lord works through courage but it's, it's hard to do but that yeah. was that was an unbelievable scene i said i would have put my covers on as soon as that lady knocked at my window <laughs> how do I, I you know pray for the courage to be like him right right no absolutely yeah it's an awesome thing and i, I think we tend to have some of the outlook of like oh you know we don't have that of uh, that courage to evangelize we don't have like pagans out in the streets, right? Everybody, they know about Jesus. They, they, they know that they're welcome to come to church. Like, but, but he had that no mission of like, no, there's something wrong going on, and I'm going to go into that and and act as the Lord would act here. Mm-hmm. You know, tear down the evil, the evil things, tear mm-hmm. down the idols, really, and that's what changes their hearts. You mm-hmm. know, that's what they saw. This is what's right, and this is what's wrong. And, and so they had to flee away from from what's wrong. Yeah. So, yeah. There was many stories like that, even the one where the lepers... Well, there was one where they told of people who haven't received the sacraments mm. in over two years. And as soon as he heard that, he's like, this is... This can't be. Like, this right. can't happen. Right. And they were like, oh, they're on the other side of the mountain so far away. Yeah. And he goes, he goes, I don't care, I'm going now. And they said, no, you have, this is a stormy season. You have to wait, you know, until yeah. the spring or whatever. And uh, he says, no, I'm going now. And he goes along with a, one, you know, local guy. He's like, all right, you're crazy. They go mm. on a long hike, uh, journey with the horse, and they have yeah. to swim in the water. They go on it by canoe. The canoe capsizes. He's in shark-infested water. The guy's mm. like, we, we should swim out of here. He's like, nope, stay calm. He's kicking He's kicking the canoe to the shore. Mm. Sharks are coming at him. This mm. is like, this is something in a story. And you're like, no, yeah. this actually happened. Yeah. Uh, and then he gets, you know, somehow gets out of the shark-infested water. It's funny. He, he says... All I had left was my bravery with me. Mm. And then he climbs up a, a, a big ravine with all types of shrubs and trees that are tearing his arms apart, bleeding. He gets over one ravine, and he's like, all right, I'm here. And then, nope, he sees another mountain he has to go over. He's mm. like, I'm still persisting, bites his fruit, gets enough energy, goes yeah. over the next ravine. Nope, it's not even that one. And he persists, and yeah. he ends up getting knocked unconscious and, and passing out. Mm. And he thought he was like, this is it, I'm dead. And he... He's unconscious, wakes up in the village. People mm. rescued him. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as he wakes up, he goes and starts baptizing people. Yeah. That's <laughs> like, right. Who is this guy? He's right. superhuman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's the awesome thing about saint stories in general. It is just being well, like this is a real man who, who lived and walked on this earth, and and that that's inspiring to me personally to be like, yeah, I'm not just called to be. You know, an NPC, as you say, like just a side character that doesn't do anything or affect anything. But but like I'm called to be a saint in that that same heroic way mm-hmm. that we 
you know, maybe in a, you know, not in Hawaii and crossing mountains, but in my <laughs> parish, right. you know, I'm called to be heroic in whatever way the Lord gives to me. Not just so. a function of the diocese, exactly. you know, a functionary who's serving. Yeah. And that's what we, and, it, and we see these stories and they're great for our imagination, but it's like, no, Damien's sainthood started when he was a little kid digging graves for the grave digger. And that's how yeah. he was able to, you look at it, 3,000 graves he dug on that. Yeah. And, and he put up, they said, 2,000 pipes to connect the water system and everything. It's yeah. like he did that because he was doing that when he was uh, six digging graves and doing yeah. these little saintly things along the way that to the point where it compiles to 3,000 graves. Right. It's not like, oh, right. here's my quota. I'm going to reach Damien Amalekai's 3,000 graves. It's like, no, just as Father Carbonaro again, do your homework. Stop wearing <laughs> stop wearing chains around as mortification. Mm. <laughs> it's like do your classwork, do your holy hour, you know, get to bed on, you know, at a reasonable yeah. time. That's going to be sainthood. And yeah. you look back at your life and Damien probably looks back at his life. It's like, oh, yeah happen through a bunch of small ways yeah yeah that's a good insight too do you have any other summarizing thoughts i think it not that there's so many stories again a lot that we sort of missed out on um one thing that just touched me profoundly is his close contact with these rejected people i mean we didn't really describe the what it was like uh, the lepers were like first of all there was right great debauchery sexual license on the island people had no hope so they're kind of doing whatever yeah but just he he would be in confession with these people Mm. and their their smell was so putrid that it was almost unbearable he had to take sometimes he would have to get out so he didn't pass out outside to breathe fresh air but even amidst all that like he had to get so close to the lepers in order to hear their confessions yeah and and for me it was just wow like just how you need to how we need to see the other person's like yeah. he's seeing them and he, all these great like they have you know, worms crawling through their feet and he's wrapping them with bandages and yeah. it's just like how can I maybe I won't have that but this will help me you know see the person yeah. see my fellow brothers see people that you might not connect with or that you're different from and just like whatever I'm going to do the Lord's work and mm. that was helpful for that and then there's a lot of other spiritual things for me personally on this yeah. like what's the balance between you know assertiveness and and humble the humble priest who steps yeah. back and lets the she- the sheep go and it was actually a huge ended up culminating in my novena at lords i was in the last day of lords and mm. took a lot of things to prayer and damien was just helpful and facilitating yeah. like my prayer of how can i become this it came to me it's silent service silent service of damien amalekai lord, yeah. lord grant me this uh, damien give me your silent service so yeah. i can serve the lord but that was, yeah, that was one thing I'm sure. What mm. was, well, I mean, what was one takeaway for you that, I guess, a grand one? Mm. Yeah, I guess, like, like a big takeaway for me is, is just praying for that great spirit of service, especially, and use the term magnanimity. Yeah. I always think that's a tongue twister. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but that greatness of spirit of, like, I want to do good things for the Lord, but it's not just whatever I want. It's not just like, okay, let me think of, like, what's the best way that I could do something great and big for God? But it's like, no, like, God, let me do whatever you want me to do with a great heart and a great spirit. Like you said, oh, let's just do my homework or, yeah. or lead the rosary at my parish or, or whatever. Just let me do whatever you want with just such a great spirit and a great heart. So I saw that Damien did that, and... You know, like, I would love to one day be able to, to go to Hawaii and, like, visit where, where he walked and all that. If that ever became available, you know, I would love to do that. 
but it's not just there in those faraway places, but it's 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 here and now, like in the seminary and mm-hmm. in the parish and, and in my apostolate place that I can do those things. So mm-hmm. kind of just trying to keep those things in mind and ask for his intercession, especially in that, that formation. And we yeah. need to, on a political level, we need to protect men like Damien who are getting torn down and their statues are getting torn down in Congress. Like, wait, yeah. you got to understand who this guy is. Right. He's right. not, you know, he's not a... Somebody who just went in and kind of wreaked havoc and yeah. why he <laughs> helped why. There's practical implications of those things, but that's yeah, yeah. Not not making this political, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, and to that point too, like I think like we need more. I don't want to say oh, we need more statues to saints necessarily, but like we need people to see like how awesome and great he is. Like think of how many movies that we make that are like manly or whatever. Like uh, comes to mind is like Die Hard. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got like this badass guy who, like, shoots people up and, like, he kills the bad guys, he saves the good guys. Okay, what if that's, like, St. Damien of Molokai? Like, is it a cool action, like, action movie? But you know what I mean? Like a yeah. like an awesome movie like that. I know there's a Saint movie about him. Yeah. Maybe from the 90s, which is good, but Saint movies tend to be very pious mm-hmm. and not, like, super-duper inspiring and, like, hoorah kind of a thing. But, like, you could make that movie about St. Damien of Molokai, like tearing down the idol of these, these pagans that, that are trying to torment him. That's what I'm saying. so, so cool. Somehow, <laughs> it's, Hollywood, we all know how Hollywood's whack and things like that, but yeah. they make good films. Yeah. <laughs> like, they genuinely make good pictures. Yeah. And, like, if we somehow got that scene and him climbing the ravine and him going in the sharks, yeah. like, that, that would be manly. Like, Hacksaw Ridge. It's a yeah. great oh, film exactly. with yeah. a good story. And I think men are, and women and people in general are really moved yeah. by that stuff. They're good films. And somehow, I don't know if anyone out here has a talent of, you know, filmmaking, like, mm. that's, that's where it should be put. Because these stories, this is a man. Like, this yeah. is a man, not just because he's killing a bunch of people and he's macho, but because, yeah, he actually did some pretty macho things, but also yeah. he was doing these little things for the Lord. Yeah. And it's like, if we just saw this, yeah, in like a high-def film or something, like <laughs> Hacksaw Ridge, that would be <laughs> unbelievable. Be awesome. yeah. And just showing this to young Catholic yeah. guys in grade school. Like, yeah. that would, that would, or St. Ignatius. Um, yeah. That yeah. would really, that would really do some damage in, in, in the good way, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot, a lot of things we can work on with the church, and that's why I guess God wants us here in seminary. And <laughs> Amen to that. A lot, yep. of, a lot of good we can do, and a lot of good the lay, lay people in the church can do as well. Absolutely. So, yeah, thanks for the conversation, Andrew, and all of your insights. Well, I hate to cut off the conversation here, but we've got evening prayer coming up pretty <laughs> shortly. So duties of a seminarian. Yeah, that's our. That's how we become saints. Exactly. We go to evening <laughs> prayer, maybe five ten minutes beforehand, even. Yeah. <laughs> and we finish go. a Sunday night in a good manner. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for yeah. having me, Nikolai. It was awesome. I wanted to speak about this for a while, so thanks again. Yeah. Thanks for the conversation, and thank you, listener, for tuning in. Uh, join us next time for the next episode of the Sem Says podcast. Mm-hmm.